it's really neat about God. He doesn't just teach you about him, but he teaches you about yourself. <laughs> I'll never forget what once Billy said. Billy's no longer with us, unfortunately, but he asked, he said, God, would you show me what's inside of me? And God showed him what was inside of him, and he said it wasn't pretty. <laughs> and he meant it. He, was, he said, man, it, just, it was filthy. You know, God cleaned that guy up. Um, his end wasn't the most victorious, but, man, I'll tell you what, God saved that guy. <laughs> I forget that. That was just a, absolutely amazing. But um, God shows us about ourselves, and it's so insightful. Has, has God shown you anything about yourself that was like, wow, I didn't even realize that. That's, that's something else. And he does that, man. He shines his light in your life. And he, he not only shows you about yourself, but he shows you how to be the new self that he wants you to be. He shows you, you know what? Yeah, you're not quite squared away. Yeah, you got a mess inside. But you know what? I want to show you the new self inside of you. And, I, and tonight, I want to show you some things that God has been showing me. This is just straight out of my devotional life, all right? This isn't, uh, I don't know, it might even be kind of like drinking out of a fire hydrant tonight. But I just, like, I, just all this stuff keeps being, I don't know, revealed to me, or my brain's been opened up, my mind's been opened up to see some things that I've quite honestly I've never seen before. And so I just want to share them t- with you. Um, almost just straight out of my own just devotional notes. And so let's just pray. Uh, can you tell that we pray a lot? This is probably like, what, the 10th time we're praying tonight? That's all right. There's nothing wrong with that. Jesus, we just pray that you'd open our minds, our hearts, just to receive from you. Lord God, help us to relax our souls, so to speak. Lord God, so that we can just receive your word into our heart, Lord God, that it, your word not only is in us, but it becomes part of who we are, Lord Jesus, that we can't hardly distinguish between your word and ourselves. Lord, just let it become, our, your word become part of who we are, we ask Jesus. In your name I ask it, amen. amen. In Matthew 16, 18, <laughs> this is a lot of stuff, man, so forgive me, but it, it, this stuff deserves... Eight, ten weeks, maybe months of, of study, but man, it's just blessed me. Seeing it all together has blessed me a lot. So let's see if I can articulate and explain what God has shown for me or to me. In Matthew 16, 18, it's a well-known scripture. It says, I tell you, Peter, this is Jesus speaking, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I will build my church. And uh, there was a, a really cool book written a, several years ago. Um, it's called When God Builds a Church. When God Builds a Church. And if, uh, if you're interested in like churches and how to build a church and how a church grows, there's a billion books out there. And they're all about what man can do to build a, church, build a church. But this particular book was really interesting. It's actually written by a Church of Christ pastor about his church in Louisville, Kentucky that's exploded. I mean, it's like enormous. Um, but it, he, had, he acknowledges God built his church. And similar to the scripture, God builds his church, he also builds us. He builds us. I will build my church means two things. I will build the people 
of my body, the body of Christ, the church, and I will build them together. Not necessarily in numbers. Yeah, it might include numbers. It might not. But he will build us together so that we grow stronger together. And we're seeing that in our youth. They're growing strong together, man. We're seeing that with our adults. We're strong, growing strong together. Man, you could almost not break us apart anymore because God has built us together. And so, but I'd like to focus on what, if God is going to build us, what is the foundation that God builds on? And I have to, can I just, you, you hit it on the head. You're exactly right. That is one of the key foundations. John said it's love. And I want to share with you, my dad and I transitioned roles about two years ago. And right around that time, I got this mental picture of this foundation. And God taking his forearm and just clearing off all the twigs and silliness that man has tried to build on that foundation. Just clean wholesale. And he looked at me and said, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build my church. And I'm going to wipe out all this garbage that man tries to do. Programs, you know, hipster ways of doing things, you know. <laughs> that we're going to do this cool thing. We're going to do, no, I am going to build my church. And he's doing that with our lives, too. He's taking his forearm over the foundation. And I'll tell you what the foundation here is in a second. He's cleaning our lives, just a clean sweep. Boom. Knocking it all off and saying, you know what? We're going to start from scratch. And that's about the only way. You can't, if it's been built on garbage, you can't start on garbage. You've got to clean all the garbage off. And that's what he's doing. Some of us, in fact, that might be key point number one. You're saying, what is going on inside of me? I feel like, you know, shaking and things are moving and taken out and put in. And what's going on? Well, God is just taking his forum and just doing a clean sweep and just saying, you know what? I'm getting rid of the messes. I'm getting rid of depression. I'm getting rid of sin. I'm getting rid of addiction. I'm getting rid, rid of witty little human ways of doing things. I'm going to do it from scratch. And so, well, I better keep moving because there's a lot here. <laughs> um, he's clearing the foundation. All right, so look at Hebrews 12, 22. I guarantee we have a bazillion scriptures here. That'd be the only reason to talk about in church is, is the scripture. But Hebrews 12, 22, and I'm going to read it to you. It says, but you have come to Mount Zion. Praise God. That's like a that's the new church, Mount Zion. <laughs> in, in Jerusalem, there's, Jerusalem is built on what would be called Mount Zion. But you have come to Mount Zion, a city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Wouldn't you like to be that? Guess what? If you have Jesus in your heart, you have been one of the ones that have been made perfect. You say, I'm not very perfect right now. God sees you as you will be, not as you are right now. Amen. He sees you through his son, Jesus. So he sees to the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, and now he has promised, one more, once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Now, here's the key verse right here. The words, once more, indicates a removing of what can be shaken, 
that is created things so that what cannot be shaken may remain. See, God has taken us and he's shaken us. And you're saying, oh, stop shaking me. But you know, as he's shaking us, all the mess and the garbage has fallen out. It's fallen out. You say, I'm nervous. I don't know what my future holds. God's shaking you. He's getting all the rubbish out. You say, I don't know about my finances. I don't know what's going to happen. He's shaking you and getting all the mess out. You say, I don't know about my family. Everything's out of control right now. He's shaking you to get all that can be shaken out of you. And let me tell you, it feels really good to be solid. And so he's taking his forearm, moving everything out of the way. So what's the the foundation. I'm going to give you, I can't remember how many layers, six or seven layers of foundation that God wants to build on. And the first foundation is clearly Christ. He wants to build on nothing more but Christ Jesus. Nothing else, nothing else. Ephesians 2.19 says, consequently, we're no longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, also members of his household. Listen to this, built on a foundation of apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as a cornerstone. We need to put our feet on nothing else but the solid rock of Christ Jesus. I used to, you know, bad news would come from work or bad news. Have you ever had just, you wake up in the morning and you just feel like something bad's going to happen that day. You're like, oh no, something bad. I don't know what it is, but I just have this premonition, premonition that something bad is going to happen. And it's like a, a leaf fluttering in the wind. Anything could just blow me right away. And God began to show me, you're standing on the rock. Stop quivering so much. I'm not quivering. I don't want you to quiver anymore. I'm solid rock. You're standing on me and you cannot be shaken. So I want you to stop shaking. Stop shaking. Don't wake up with these bad thoughts in the morning. Don't, if you receive bad news, don't, don't receive it. Say, you know what? I'm standing on the rock, Jesus Christ. I will not and I cannot be shaken. Amen. So again, if you're shaking and you're standing on the rock that can't be shaking, shaken, why are you shaking? Why are you fearful? Why are you all perplexed and concerned? You're standing on the cornerstone who is Jesus. So let me tell you just some thoughts about this foundation of Jesus. Layer number one, Christ. You know what? If I'm built on Christ, that means I need to be selfless. I need to stop thinking of myself so, so much and think on Jesus. I need more selflessness in my life. I need to stop being so self-focused and be more Christ-focused. Selfishness drags us down so quickly, all right? We need to be Christ-focused, not self-focused. Here's the other thing that I think when I'm standing on Christ, the solid rock, where is my trust? My trust is exclusively on Jesus. He's proven himself faithful Therefore, I can relax on him. I've told this before just recently. I'm beginning to lean so much on Jesus that if he moves out of the way, I'm going to fall flat on my face. That's how much I'm leaning on Jesus. It's scary. <laughs> he better be who he says he is. He better do what he says he's going to do because if he moves out of the way, I'm going to get crushed. Are you trusting in Jesus that much? I'm, that's, I'm, we're talking about the foundation, Jesus are you, have you put all your weight on him so that if he moves, 
It's all over. He's not going to move, though. He's not going to move. So you trust him. Here's another thought of standing on Jesus. Where do you get your joy from? Where do you get your joy from? Is it exclusively from him? Or do you find your joy in other pockets of things? Who knows what those might be? When you really place your weight on Jesus, your only joy is going to come directly from him. You're going to be joyful because of him. Here's another thought. Your hope. If you're hopeless, you're not standing on Jesus. So that's a good telltale sign. Is Jesus your foundation or not? If you're hopeless, stand on Jesus and you will receive instant hope. Instant hope. The hopelessness will go away. Here's another cool thought. Your confidence. You can be self-confident or you can be God-confident. I want to be God-confident. In fact, somewhere in Psalms or Proverbs, it says our confidence comes from God. Our confidence comes from God. And lastly, if you're a planner, when you start standing on Jesus, you'll stop being a planner. You know, you won't be a control freak anymore. You'll say, God, you got the plans. I read, I read, read kind of a radical statement the other day. A godly person stops setting goals. So, Whoa, what are you talking about? Well, if they're God goals, set them. But stop setting your own goals and let God start setting your goals for you. All right? That's standing on Jesus. Okay, so there's the first layer. Jesus is my cornerstone. And then layered right on top of that is love. And that's what John said. I'm standing in the love of God. Look at um, John 13, 23. This is about John, and we did a whole series on Sunday morning about this. John claimed to be the disciple who Jesus loved. John claimed to be the one who, he bragged about how much God loved him. Peter bragged about how much Peter loved God. Which one of them was standing around the cross? It was John. He bragged. He said, I'm the one that Jesus loves. And he was found reclining closest to Jesus there at the Last Supper. So close he could probably hear Jesus' heartbeat. So close that the other disciples said, Hey, John, ask Jesus thus and so. You know what? I'm the one that Jesus loves. (laughs) Are you claiming that same thing? I'm the one that Jesus loves. I'm not going to brag about how much I love Jesus. I'm going to brag about how much he loves me. Praise God in 1 John 4, 8. In fact, 1 John 4 is an amazing chapter on God's love, but whoever does, not, uh, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, there's many descriptions of God, but I would say the number one description of God is love. God never said, I am anger. I am wrath. Does God have anger? Does God have wrath? Absolutely. He exhibits that characteristic, but who he is, he is love. Praise God. That's a foundation. You know God, I stand on Jesus, I'm standing on his love. I'm standing in his love. 1 John 4.10, a couple of verses later, it says, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Praise God. Love is that he loved me. That's love. So much so that in Revelations, whenever uh, the, uh, Jesus is speaking prophetically to the Ephesian church, he says, you've forsaken your first love. 
Well, you know how many times I felt condemned for not loving God enough? More times than I can count. I've, I've lost my first love. I've lost my first love. You know what he was saying? They had, they'd stopped receiving the love of God. They were receiving love from other sources. You know what? I want to just receive God's love. I want to remain in God's love. Just like John 15, 9 says, as, um, as the fathers loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. So what is it about love? I'm not standing on the fact that I love God. I'm standing on the fact that he loves me. That's the fact that I'm standing on. And so whenever I don't love somebody, let's say somebody's done me wrong and I hate their guts and I'd like to just poke their eyes out and I'd like to do this and do that and do the other thing, you know what I need? I just need to receive more love from God. I need a a more filling of love from God and then I'll start overflowing with love for others. I can't give what I haven't received. So if you have a problem loving someone, don't just try harder. You can't force love. You gotta receive more love so that then you can love them back. And so this is love. So um, I'll say this. I'll use this example until the day I die. I am going to go jump into God's love, his ocean of love, and I'm never getting out again. You're not going to get me out. If I sin, I'm still going to stay in the ocean of God's love. If somebody does me wrong, I'm not getting out on that sandy shore anymore. I'm staying in the love of God, and I'm going to drown there, and I'm going to stay there forever because his love has changed my life. All right? So there's Christ the cornerstone. There's his love. What does his love bring about in our lives? The third thing is grace. Grace. And in this day of, who cares if you know about this? If you don't, don't worry about it, all right? But in this day and age of what's called hyper grace, we're taking the baby and throwing it out with the bathwater. The grace of God is powerful, and it only comes because he loves us. So, you know, I love my kids to death. I would do anything for them. And you know what I love to do for my kids? I love my wife. You know what I love to do for them? I like to just give them stuff. You know how you know if you're loved? If somebody just gives you stuff. (laughs) All right? I love you. Here, take this. You're walking along. My girls and I will go on dates sometimes. Not frequently enough, but we'll just go on a date. You know what I love to do is go buy them something. Just a little something. Go take them out to dinner. And you know what? They come back, I hope, knowing that their dad loves them. Why? Because he gives them something. That's the grace of God. He just gives us. Here, you don't deserve it. I don't care. I love you anyways. Take this. Take this blessing. I want to pour out so much blessing that you can't even contain it all. You know why? Because I love you. That's what your Father in heaven is saying. That's the grace of God. He blesses you even though you say, I don't deserve it. He's saying, stop saying you don't deserve it. I love you and love you. It covers all the undeservedness. Let's not talk about that anymore. I love you. I want to pour love on you. I want to pour gifts on you. I love this Isaiah 30, 18. It says, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Grace, remember? Therefore, he will rise up to show his compassion for the Lord is a God of justice. Listen to this. Blessed is all or all those who wait on him. Blessedness, grace goes hand in hand. In Titus 3.3, I love this one. It says, um, 
At one time, you too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by every, every, all kinds of passions and pleasures. Hey, that's me. That's you. All right. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hated one, hating one another. What a dysfunctional kind of life that was, right? But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of the rebirth, renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out. What a visual is that? On us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs of this hope of eternal life. Wow. So what does that say? Love equals grace. And we need to just start receiving. <laughs> I'll take whatever you got, God. <laughs> I'm not going to be discriminatory. I'm not going to even tell you what it is. Give me something good today, God. And he's just going to pour into your life day in, day out, the grace of God, the grace of God. In Romans 5, 1 and 2, I could give you scripture after scripture after scripture. Here's just a sampling. Romans 5, uh, 2, actually. It says, Though, um, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And I see this foundation, solid rock, love, and grace. I, you're going to think I'm kooky, but you know, you just get these visuals, these pictures in your mind, but kind of a, a what do you call this, dry ice that produces kind of this, this uh, smoky effect. And I'm just standing, this grace of God is like this just fog. <laughs> and I'm just standing in the wonder of God's grace. It's so thick, I can't even see my feet, you know. I'm standing in his grace. He said, son, stand up. You don't have to grovel anymore. I want you to stand up and be the man of God that I've called you to be. I love you, and I want to bless you, but I want you to stand up in the grace of God. Praise God. Isn't that encouraging? I want some of that. <laughs> I want that. I don't want to lose out on this, this kind of blessing. Ephesians 2, 8, it says, For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. Listen to this. It is a gift of God. The gifts of God. Hallelujah. The favor, the blessing, the giftedness of God. In John 1, 16, it says, For out of his, and this is the amplified version, so if you're, you're not going to see this if you don't have it, but... It says in John 1, 16, so it says, out of his full, fullness, so here's God's superabundance of grace and truth, you have all received grace upon grace. So he didn't just give you grace, he layers it. Boom, boom. That's not enough. I'm going to suffocate you with all the grace of God, all the goodness of God. Just pour it into your mind, into your mind, into your life. And I'm not just talking spiritually. I'm talking physically. God wants to bless you materially. Now, I'm not going to be going off and saying, you know, God wants to make you a super rich person. But he not only wants to take care of your needs, he wants to take care of your wants, your desires. He says, I'm going to give you the desires of your heart. If you'll just delight yourself in me, I'm going to give you what you want, too. Now, how's that for salvation? How's that for blessing? But it says, I'm going to put grace upon grace. Then in parentheses in the Amplified Version, it says, spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing. Favor upon favor. Gift heaped upon gift. These are some pretty cool visuals that brings in a light, man. I want to stand that grace. I want that. All right? And then the last thing, well, not the last thing, but one thing about grace, another thing is the freedom and the power to stop sinning. 
When God says, my child, I want you to stop doing this, he's telling you, my child, you can stop doing this now. I'm going to give you the power to stop doing this. This is the coolest verse, Romans 6.14. It says, for sin will have no more dominion over you. You are not under the law. You are under grace. Grace gives you the power to stop doing the things that you want to stop doing anything anyways and to start doing the things that you want to start doing. That's the grace of God, standing in the grace of God. Well, here's the neat thing. So you have Christ the cornerstone, love, grace. What does grace produce? Something that us religious folks tend to overlook. The more you stand in grace, the more righteousness you get the more holiness you get. Grace is the only pathway to righteousness and holiness. And so it says in Romans 5, 17, um, for if by the trespass of one man, this man being Adam, the trespass means he messed up, death reigned over that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? That tells me, If I will just stand in God's grace and receive it, he will also give me righteousness. Hey, you say, well, I want to live a righteous life. I want to prove myself to God. You cannot prove yourself to God. He's already proven you for him through his son, Jesus Christ. Righteousness is a gift of God that comes through grace. So when you say, I'm undeserving God, he says, shut up. Stop saying you're undeserving and receive my grace that's a free gift. And when you receive it, he says, hey, you know what? Now I'm going to start making you righteous. Now I'm going to start making you righteous. How do I know this? Well, in Matthew 6, 33, Brother Jimmy's in my favorite scripture in the whole Bible. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, not your own. Seek his righteousness through grace God says, you know what, Sarah, you're righteous. Shelby, you're righteous. You know what, Elise, you're righteous. Kyle, you're righteous. Me, well, you're right. You, I am declaring you righteous. And if you've ever read the Chronicles of Narnia, I love it. Edmund, one of the four kids, if you ever watched the movie or read the book, Edmund, who is just a rascal, he's a scoundrel, bad kid, you know what? He was called Edmund the Just. <laughs> he was called Edmund the Righteous. He was called Edmund the one who's been perfected. And God looks at you and you say, I've done so many wrong things, but God says, I called you just. I call you righteous. And if God declares you, you need to just receive it and say, you know what? I am made right. I take the finished work of Jesus and I accept it. In Acts 20, uh, 32, it says, now I commit you to God and the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are being sanctified or who are sanctified. Sanctified is another word for, for holiness. All right? So his grace gives us righteousness and leads us down the path of holiness. And here this, this, this scripture again says, the word of grace is what, what takes you into sanctification, takes you into holiness. Praise God. Titus 2.11. I know, this is just out of my journal, so I'm just like giving you scripture after scripture, but Titus 2.11 says, for the grace of God has appeared, um, has appeared and offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness. This is my dad's sermon just a week or two ago. 
Grace is the thing that teaches us to say no to ungodliness. It's not the law. The Bible tells us the law can't make you do the right thing. In fact, I'll tell you, there's a scripture that says, harsh treatment of the body will not produce righteousness. So if you think you're going to be this super self-controlled, harsh person, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. I'm not, that's not going to produce righteousness. Only grace produces righteousness and holiness. And when we receive the grace of God, not just when we get saved, but on throughout our lives. In fact, the Bible says the way you started is the way you need to keep living. You started with grace. You started with faith. Keep on with grace. Keep on with faith. That's the foundation that produces righteous living, that produces holy living. And holiness, man, is powerful. And the Bible says without holiness, no man will see God. No man will see God. So here we have Christ, the foundation, love, grace, Righteousness, holiness, and then the glory of God comes. You, go, you get into the holiness of God. We talked about this with the young people on Friday night. You get into God's holiness, you're going to start seeing his glory. You're going to start seeing his glory. People, people pray, God, show me your glory. That's what Moses said. God, show me your glory. And as he was praying that, I imagine his mind flashed back to the day when he was in the desert and he saw a burning bush and he approached the burning bush and God started speaking to him through the burning bush. What a crazy experience that would be. He started speaking to him through the burning bush and, and God said, stop, don't come any closer. The ground that you're on is holy, holy. And what did God tell him to do? He said, take off your sandals. And as we learned, let me tell you what, you take off your sandals. The sandal was the, the symbol of power, of entitlement, and of worldly possessions. And God said, I, take, I want you to take off everything that you're proud of and everything that makes you insecure, and I want you to come into my holiness. You can only come into my holiness when you've taken off your pride and taken off your insecurity. And you come into the presence of God. And so, you know, Moses is saying, God, show me your glory. And he's remembering how he came into God's holiness by taking off his pride, taking off his insecurity. And he walked into God's holiness. And as I was meditating on this and thinking about this, I felt the Lord tell me, because I've been taking off my sandals. I encourage you, take off your sandals, take off your pride, take off your insecurity, walk into the holiness of God. And I felt as I was doing this, the Lord telling me, Steve, once you come into my holiness, you'll never want to come out again. You'll never want to come out again. It is so wonderful. It's so powerful. And you come into the holiness of God and you will begin to experience the glory of God. And I'm speaking of something I have no idea of what I'm talking about. I'm not there. This is pure, pure just the Bible. I want to see the glory of God. I want to see the glory of God. Let me just read you a couple of scriptures. It's something that I'm learning about right now. Um, it says, uh, sorry, it's in the back side of this page. Oh, good grief. I don't guess I, <laughs> I didn't write it down. I feel terrible. Uh, I'll tell you just from memory. Somewhere in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, it says, Jesus began to first reveal his glory in Cana of Galilee when he turned the water into wine. That was the essence of that scripture. Jesus revealed his glory to his disciples when he did miracles. And 
you know, my mom has alluded to several miracles that have been going on. That's the glory of God. <laughs> That's the glory of God, man. Amen? Sir? That was his first miracle. Yeah. And, it, and the Bible says that was God's glory being revealed. The glory of God changing our hearts and saying, you're set free. I'm delivering you from your depression. I'm delivering you from your addiction. I'm delivering you from your fears. I'm delivering you from your harsh treatment of yourself. I'm delivering. That's the glory of God. And we want more of the glory of God. How do we get there? Through the holiness of God. And let me tell you what. We don't make ourselves holy. I, have, I, I don't know what I did with half my notes here. We don't make ourselves holy. God sanctifies us through and through, through and through. So think about these layers and tell me if any of these layers have anything to do with us. I'm missing a whole page. <laughs> so, yeah? Maybe. But the layers are... Christ, then love, then grace, then righteousness and holiness, and then the glory of God. In all of those, ask yourself, do we play any part in any of those? Well, we cooperate with God, but that's all God. That's all God doing those things in our lives. 